Recording in progress. All right. Oh, hello. Let's do that over again. Wasn't ready. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. The beauty of editing. We love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Um, this week, I sound a little bit better. I do apologize. I know how echoey it can be with my recording. Bear with me because I'm like, I have an interesting setup here where I'm at right now. So <laughs> we are going to try something new this week with our sound. So hopefully it sounds better for you guys. We'll get there. It'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. We're human. Oh, Maddie. What are you drinking? Um, it was like this beautiful bottle I got for my birthday. I mean, it's stunning. Like, so it's champagne. It's a rosé champagne. And uh-huh. um, I got it from my cousin's wife. And it's like, it's almost like one of those bottles you would probably buy for somebody who's like doing like engagement photos or like their bridal party like photos because it's like the label itself is like a silver like iridescent glitter and it's gorgeous. So she bought mm-hmm. me two of those, two bottles of that. And I was like, ooh, I almost like don't want to like open it because it's so pretty. <laughs> but I opened it because I wanted it. understandable. Mine. Here we are. <laughs> Good for you. Well, it's funny that you talk about pretty bottles because I'm drinking this. And the, the creator of this wine is actually the artists for all the bottles that they do. So their art like is... Yeah, it's really pretty. And it usually retails for like $27. And it was on sale, like half off. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm buying a bottle because I'm cheap. So I'm drinking We it. all love sale wine, especially when it's... So $27 to Darcy and I, not cheap wine. You guys... No, that's you guys expensive. Your eyes. <laughs> John. Some of you guys may John roll is your eyes, but we <laughs> may not here buying hundreds of dollars worth of wine bottles, you know. I mean, here's the thing. It's technically a $27 bottle of wine. I just got yeah. it at half price. Is it just like a red blend? Budget. Yeah, it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. 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 <laughs> the fun word. Yeah. Um, also, as you can see, we have a child <laughs> with us today. Um <laughs> So we went to Disneyland with uh, our friends over the weekend because her boyfriend had never been to Galaxy's Edge. He was always a, you know, he would roll his eyes at Disney. And she's like, anytime I talk about Disney, you look like I just stepped on your cat. Like, <laughs> like, he's one of those people who's like, it's overrated and Disney's stupid. And then she was like, well, I'm going to Disneyland or Disney World when she came out to see us in Florida. And... She was like, yeah, we're going to go to Galaxy's Edge and Star Wars. And he's like, I want to go to Star Wars. And she's no. like, what? Like, what do you, you said you hate Disney. And he's like, yeah, but I've never been to Star Wars. And so for Christmas, she gifted him the build your own lightsaber thing. So, oh my God, kid on Christmas. It was, we have photos. I'll send you, I'll send you the group photo. It's so great. But it was a great time. I mean, obviously I love Star Wars. So we went and, um. We got dress coded. It was great. Me and John got dress coded for our burlesque shirts. So the one I was wearing in the last episode, that's the one I wore to Disney and got dress coded. So that was super fun. So what happens when you get dress coded at Disney? So we, you know, when you get to the, to the entrance where they check your bag and stuff. Uh So we're doing the whole thing. 
where I'm wearing my shirt, he's wearing his shirt. And the guy's like, oh, just hold on. Let's wait here like one second. And I had like loose ibuprofen like in my my fanny pack. And I was like, is he is he upset about my, does he think I have drugs? Like, I don't really know. And he's like, I don't know. And so then the guy brings over like his manager and he's like, hey, so um, what about like their shirts? And because the shirts have to, like they were like a burlesque parody because they have to say so they don't get sued. And he was like, um, he's like, listen, I think they're great. They're funny. He's like, but I don't know if we can let that in because it's like, it's Star Wars and Star Wars is Disney and it's like not whatever. So then they get another boss and then she comes over and she's instantly like, no, she's like, yeah, no, because that's Star Wars. That's it. That's our brand. Um, and they're, you know, they're making fun of it. And I'm like, First of all, the show is fantastic. So, yes, yeah. it was comedy. But it's like, yeah, it's not representing us. It's not like a Disney-branded shirt. So you you can't wear that in. And we're like, well, what do we do? It's like, we're going to flip them inside out. So we had to, like, go find a bathroom, flip our shirts inside out, get rechecked at the bag check, and then get through. And then I found a bathroom and flipped my shirt back right side in. So, and I have proof. I took a, We took a photo with the Millennium Falcon and... And I got a picture of R2-D2. Oh, my God. I was, like, living my best life while we were there. <laughs> um, that was a boyfriend win for John. He was able to get me a photo with R2-D2. And so, boyfriend win for Trip. Wow. You'll, you'll have to, we'll have to post a picture for people to see because that's awesome. And I always joke oh because God, I'm like, you know, any adults that really say that they don't like Disneyland or, you know, going to Disney, I'm like, okay, but when was the last time you went? Like, because... Even have fun as an adult, you know. Like I get it. Like if you're not like a crowd person like that, I can I guess understand. But like, it's fun, and you're lying to yourself yeah. if you say it's not fun. <laughs> but uh, there, Disney adults are. There's more Disney adults now than there ever have been. You know, because we're all feeding our inner child who never got to go to Disney when you were a kid because you were poor. <laughs> you didn't get to go. <laughs> yeah. I saw I didn't realize that they had that like Star Wars bar there too. I thought that was just a Florida thing. Yeah. Oh, Oga's okay. Disclaimer, and I don't care. Oga's in Florida is way better than Oga's in California. So okay. it's a totally different experience. Um, just kind of like how Pirates is better in California than Pirates is in Florida. So there's mm-hmm. like pros and cons, but overall, Oga's Cantina in Florida's Florida's the spot. Was it just like a different atmosphere or like? A hundred percent. So it was really weird. Like when we went, we had, um, we had like 9.15 in the morning. So we got there when we were in Florida and our bartender was great and um, giving us drinks and like they were super in character and they were like bantering back and forth with each other. And then at one point um, they started doing like this song so i have like a video of them like doing and everyone had to like get in on it so we all had to like, this drinking song and we were like four drinks down when our timer because you have like 45 minutes and our time we're like running out he's like oh do you guys like want one for the road so he gave us like a road drink and then we wrote tower of terror right after that which is fabulous and um <laughs> so we were we literally we could spend all day here like i understand now why they give you 45 minutes because people won't leave <laughs> yeah and then when we got to the one at Disneyland, it was more like we're going to funnel you guys in so we can funnel you guys out like very conveyor belt. Like we got seated at a table with like a mom and her two kids. It was like really weird. And yeah, they were like, 
we'll take your order. And they were very strict. They were like two drinks max. And then it's like 45 minutes or two drinks max. And then you have to like get out. And we're like, okay. So it didn't feel as atmospheric. I mean, at one point the stormtroopers did come in and everyone started booing the stormtroopers, which was really fun. Um, but aside from that, it was like, eh, that was kind of lackluster overall. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of hard. Like I said, that Florida one, when we got to go, it is like they, it's awesome that like how character they're in and everything like that. Like, like it's just, it's a different, it's totally different. Like you feel like you're literally on a different planet in a bar, you know, and, and yeah, like you said, they're so awesome. Like they're like, yeah, we can like give you whatever. Like if you want to go out, you know, take this with you, uh, you know, like I took a to go drink too. Cause I'm like, sometimes like you just feel like, okay, I know my time limit's up, but there was like this other one I really want to try. And so mm-hmm. that was awesome. Like I remember my to-go drink that I got like in Florida, they had like a wine there, but it was blue. Like it was literally blue. So it was super fun. It was good. Of course, all the drinks are really good. So yeah, mine was that um, like the jet fuel or whatever, like that small, like super fucking strong drink. He gave me that to go and I was like, yeah. Well, yeah, if it's called jet fuel, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's called <laughs> jet fuel. And so, like, I had one, and then I had that was my last drink, and then that was my to go drink. And I was like, listen, it was like eleven forty five, and I was just like living my best life. I was like wasted in Disney World, just having a grand old time. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> oh gosh! But, well, that's awesome. I'm super jealous. I know. Hopefully sometime soon I can go back to Disneyland because I haven't been to Disneyland since they opened up Star Wars there. So, but I know it's hard because like I'm always going to compare it to Disney World, which is completely different. You guys, completely different. But there's pros and cons to both parks. Like each park has its pros and each, like each parks, if they have shared attractions, one is better than the other. It's just how it is. Um, So there's nothing wrong with that, but just know like one, park's gonna have better things than the other like uh, john and dara get kind of and we can probably edit this part out like john and dara are at like a tiff because john's like haunted mansion at disney at disney world is better than disneyland and dara's like absolutely not it's better here than it is there so everyone's got their preferences but whatever (laughs) it was a good time i would say i'd definitely go when we went i was pleasantly surprised we went on sunday and it really wasn't busy like wow i think the longest then was 35 minutes like yeah and now it's not including like rise of the resistance and things like that like certain rides like that i get were like really long and you lightning lanes those but even like pirates of the caribbean it shut down and then they gave people like these tickets to come back when it reopened and even when it reopened it was only a 25 minute wait like it didn't get busy until later in the, like, around dinner time, which I thought was super weird. And then all of these couples started to show up because they're doing, like, this Disney after hours for, like, couples for Valentine's Day thing. And so we started seeing all these couples come in as, like, we were leaving. And I was like, okay, now I get it. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. It was really calm. Yeah. I've, I've heard that they do, like, a, like a Valentine's Day kind of deal. So. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. I guess I should start the episode now, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, 
That'll probably be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So we can talk about Disney all day. So, yeah. Do it all day. Um, I don't know if this episode's going to be as long. I, it may be longer. I don't know. Well, guess we'll find out. We will find out. But, but before we do that, let's say hello to everybody because we have new listeners. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot. I got to keep us on track here. Someone has to. Yeah, um, not me. Fun, a little fun thing in case anybody's interested in it. Um, Our top two episodes are episode 20 and episode 21, actually back to back, which I think is very funny. Um, They are Dark Disney Origins of Peter Pan, which is taking our stuff by storm. So definitely go listen to that one. And Error 404, um, the story of the 600 confession, the confession killer. So those are fun. So if you want something to go listen to, please listen to those. So small plug us from that. Hello. If you want to <laughs> skip over um, shout outs, it's going to be about 20 seconds. But I want to say hello to all of our psych patients. So hello to everybody in the United States, the United Kingdom, India, Australia, which I want to say is quickly rising up the ranks to take spot number three. So India, you got your work cut out for you. Um, hello to everybody in Bulgaria, Jamaica, Russia, Belgium, Italy, Canada, Sweden. El Salvador, Nigeria, Portugal, Germany, Albania, Cuba, Spain, Iran, which, hello, Iran or Iran. I don't know how you say it. Um, everyone, It's like tomato, tomato, right? Everyone has a preference. But welcome. You were new here, so we were happy to have you. Um, Mexico, Norway, the Philippines, and South Africa, and to everybody in between. So hello, everyone, and welcome to the Psych Ward. Hello, hello. Okay. Are you done with your spiel now? <laughs> I am done with my spiel. I will be quiet. <laughs> um, all right, you guys. So we're going to jump into this. This is going to be part two of the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Um, I do not have any more Thin Mints. I ate them all. So boo. Um, anyways, I'm going to do a quick recap just to kind of refresh your guys' memory about what we're talking about. Um, so this is the story of. The three girls, this happened back in 1977, that were unfortunately sadly murdered at Camp Scott in Locust Grove, Oklahoma. Um, There was some horrific things that happened to them. You know, unfortunately, they were only there for one night. And on their first night, they were brutally murdered. Um, We kind of left off to when we started discussing suspect number one. So let me get down to my notes here. Oh, and side note is I did finish the docuseries and I will go over kind of like the ending too with you guys. I just have an update for you, Shannon. What? So I asked Dara. So we mentioned in uh, episode 36, I think, uh, the the disappearance of Dorothy um, Arnold. Arnold? I remembered. So she covered the disappearance of Dorothy Arnold. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. It's great. It's a great episode. Um, we were like, oh, our friend Dara is from New York. She was born and raised in New York. And um, maybe she knows the story. So I had asked her because we're living in her house right now. And she did hear of the story. So she did know the story. And I don't know if she has listened to the episode yet. But I was like, by the way, we mentioned you in the beginning of the episode. So I just had to ask for a follow-up. Well, awesome. Yeah, I... Like I said, I knew it was like a really big story, like for anybody who is in the New York area, because 
you know, of her being like the socialized status and stuff like that, you know, and it's being still to this day unsolved. So yeah, that's awesome. I've, I've, the more I've done this podcast with you and everything like that, and people, even like work people that I, I talk to and stuff like that, like everybody always has like fascinating stories and like topics that they bring up. And I was like, oh, I need to jot this down. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I love that. Anyways, getting into Jean Lee Royhart. Now bear with me. If I'm not mistaken, Darcy, all we got through was kind of discussing him and how he escaped jail and prison numerous times, right? Yes. Yes, that's what I thought. Okay, so kind of where we left off then is with Gene Leroy Hart, he had escaped just prior to the murders taking place. Um, So like I said, he was suspect number one. Um, Long story short, it's a wild story about how the search goes forward trying to find him. Um, so I'll dig into a little bit like at first is how did they come to the conclusion of it being Gene that did this? I don't know if I did discuss this last week or not, but so did it did you did I tell you about like I know I talked about the cave that they had found. So mm-hmm. within the cave, um now in the docuseries they explained it too and like different um Sources that I use were talking about it. So it's a little bit foggy because one says one thing and one says another. Um, there were photos within the cave. Did I say that? No. You mentioned the women's eyeglasses, but that yeah. I don't remember photos. So there were photos in the cave, and one source said that it was his wedding photos. According to the docuseries, which they like obviously probably did tons and tons of research. I'm gonna kind of lean more to their accuracy than anything um but so there were photos found in this cave and the cave itself had also evidence in there that linked to the crime being like there was newspaper that was using the flashlight that was found at the murder scene you know different things like that and they also found these photos and they were i guess wedding photos or photos of women um and what they found was at the time back in 1977 or just prior one of the incidences where gene was in prison um, we all hear, you know, about how like prison inmates can have like kind of like jobs, I guess. Um, so mm-hmm. one of his jobs at the time was you would have like these photo processing centers because, you know, photos back then you actually had to physically process. It was a whole whole step to step thing that you had to do in order to get your photos. And so they had a um, a section off in the, the, the prison, basically, that would allow inmates to quote unquote work and you know, they would do that for jobs. So that was one of his jobs. And they were able to say that the photos that they found in the cave were photos that Gene had actually worked on, known known to have worked on in the prison. So he had access to them, basically. Because at first they were, they basically posted it in like the newspapers and stuff like that and on the news. Um, like, who are these women? Because, you know, we need to see how they're connected. And that's how they were able to connect the dots. Um, so... That's that was why they came to the conclusion of Gene at first. Now I do want to mention they did have a few other suspects that they looked into. Um, I guess just a few miles away from camp, they saw a car that was parked, and there was a man I guess that was living out of his vehicle at the time near the camp. So of course they had to go through, talk to him, and you know obviously he was a suspect too at, at some point. But they were able to kind of check mark him off the list, um, and then. Um, there was also, I believe, like neighbors of the camp that were like nearby neighbors 
that, of course, you know, with any investigation, you're going to look at the nearest surrounding people just to, you know, mark that off because of just of the convenience of it, you know, that they could have committed the crime. Uh, but yeah, so all those were kind of like, no, they didn't really do it. You know, they were able to somehow maybe had an alibi or, you know, you know they were easily able to be checkmarked off the list. Um, so some press release had eventually leaked out that they said they had a mountain of evidence to help their case. Um, they even said that they had like a crowbar for the murder weapon and all sorts of stuff. Like the media was just going crazy. Obviously, when children are involved, you know, it's just this whole media spectacle because rightfully so, it's a horrific crime. So at one point, investigators had even gone so far, and this is like, and it's a feat back then too. I can imagine even now it's considered a feat. They had even lifted the whole flooring, like I was talking about in the cabin slash tent that they were in, was a wooden flooring. So they actually airlifted, they wrapped the whole flooring up, airlifted it, and actually sent it to the crime lab to just try to get as much evidence as possible. Um, and wow. they had that fingerprint on the flashlight. And they said that they had a usable fingerprint. Long story short, they didn't. It was too badly smudged. So that's kind of sad. Um, when it gets more out there in the public that Gene was like suspect number one, a lot of people were kind of outraged about it. So like I'd mentioned before in the previous episode, this time in our in our country in the 70s, you know, racism was a huge thing and a big, big, big thing was against being Native American Indians. So a lot of people were like, absolutely not. Like the the sheriff is just targeting Gene. Like he didn't do this, you know, because remember when I was explaining who he was, everybody knew him as like the old football star, like the high school football star. Like, no, Gene would not do this. You know, he was once married, you know, he had a child of his own and all these other things. So it was really kind of hard because when investigators are trying to do their job, they're trying to, you know, keep it as hush-hush as possible because they know if they're going to try to prosecute him, they don't want so much outside influence. And ultimately, you'll kind of see, too, how it unravels that, like, there was a significant amount of outside influence in this. So in regards to the sheriff, um, they, you know, they believe that Gene was being targeted, which... I don't know if I'd mentioned this before, but obviously, if you think about it, like when he had escaped, he escaped multiple times and that's not going to look good on the sheriff. You know, like they said that he was right under the sheriff's nose, like he was able to somehow get out twice. So, I mean, maybe the sheriff did have a little bit of like angst to get against Gene and, you know, obviously probably didn't like him, you know, because he made him look bad, you know, (laughs) so but his feelings are hurt. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I I get it. But, you know, and it's so hard because you don't want to be like, okay, yeah, the sheriff's being biased, you know, but on the same like flip side, like when you have evidence that's linking him to the crime, you're like, okay, but you can't just say that he's being biased because he has a reason to think that it's Gene. He's not just pulling it out of the air, you know, but people, people had definitely their own opinions regarding it. And it, it's kind of sad. So. Once they were really like, okay, let we have to find Gene. We, we absolutely have to. The hunt basically is on. So it's literally like a manhunt. It is. And um, so the woods surrounding Camp Scott within, I think, like 10 days of the incident occurring were being like absolutely scoured. So top to bottom, they were looking for absolutely everything. So 
you'll see in the docuseries too, it was almost like this, like, almost like a witch hunt, you know, like all of a sudden people started showing up out of nowhere. Like all these men came with like their guns and everything like that, even though they're like not supposed to have them. And they're like, we're going to find him and we're going to find him one way or another. And it was just almost like this whole mob of people that showed up to try to like help, which I mean, they did, they did help. But like, it was almost like they were saying like, it wasn't the best help because like men were showing up with guns that they weren't supposed to have. Some were even drunk or brought beer with them. And it was almost like a, like a party or some sort of like, let's just try to find the main like an angry mob with their pitchforks and their fire sticks. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, this should be like an actual like police investigation, you know? And of course, you know, there were some officers from like outlying counties and stuff that came in to help. Um, let's see. But really like as time went on, they realized that Gene was kind of like a ghost. So they also brought in a team and a, it's cute. I love their name. So of course we've all heard of like the, the, like body sniffing dogs, you know, the forensic dogs. So they brought in like a group of dogs and they're, they're known as the wonder dogs. Oh, so sweet. The wonder poopers. The wonder poops. <laughs> um, but they're, they're adorable. They, there's pictures online that you can find the wonder dogs. So I guess it's like this whole team that's known across the country at the time for their abilities to kind of search out with their noses, you know, to find basically tracking. Um, so stories and superstitions, though, as time went on, started going crazy. So if you think about it, like you're having hundreds of people in this like small-ish area looking for Gene. And it's like they said the Wonder Dogs would be out and they would have something to like sniff, like a trail to sniff. And all of a sudden they would just like stop. They would stop and then they would, like sniff the air, sniff the sky. And then it would just be like they'd go around in circles. So when people see that, they're like, okay, that's just weird. And multiple times even. So, you know, y'all, we all know a little bit about like Indian folklore and stuff like that, Native American folklore. And so there was even some like rumored like things going around saying that like Gene was like a shapeshifter. So I was like, I don't know, but like, you know, and it's, it's hard because he was um, known to contact and frequently see like witch doctors at the time or you know, people like that, or not, sorry, witch doctors, but medicine men is what they're called in their culture. And uh, I'm just kidding. Huh? I said voodoo. I'm just kidding. I know it's not the same as voodoo. It's not the same, but it's similar. It's similar. So obviously, you know, and it's hard because when people don't understand other cultures, and, you know, I'm not innocent to this either, you know, you tend to, when you think of things like that, think negatively upon it. So, you know, I don't want to put out there that, you know, the medicine men are like the, Native American culture or bad or anything like that. But, you know, especially back then, it being such a secrecy and stuff like that, people like, oh, he must be turning into a bird, you know, and flying away. And that's why we can't catch his scent, you know. And then it gets even like wilder, even to the point that like they said that, you know, the medicine man was putting a curse on the wonder dogs because it's sad. But I'm like, I don't want to believe it. But I think it was at least two, if not three of the wonder dogs ended up like dying, like either during the investigation Aww. or after of like crazy things. We like don't one kill just like, dogs. Yeah. One was just like all of a sudden it just like keeled over like during like the search. And then another one, like, I guess like ran out into like a busy street with like cars and like, these are like highly trained dogs. And it just like ran Someone out. Someone called so. PETA. I was like, please don't tell me he put on a curse on the puppers. 
Somebody call PETA. PETA's not going to have any of that. Mm. Was PETA a thing in the 70s? I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. It was the 70s, you know? It was like the hippie hippie time. PETA. (laughs) Um, PETA. So by June 28th, so that's what, so it was happened on June 12th or 13th, I believe. So by June 28th, so about, no. it was roughly over two, two weeks after the actual occurrence, um, Sheriff Weaver, so he was a sheriff at the time, um, offers a $14,000 reward for the help in case, of course, of finding Gene. Um, side note, you guys, if you're watching YouTube, it's, I'm trying not to laugh right now because Darcy is glitching hardcore. I am bad. It's hilarious. Like, <laughs> and at one point, it almost looked like she turned on X-ray mode because it turned like neon green. So, I'm trying not to green and red when it does it, and it's pretty funny. All I'm saying is, PETA wasn't founded until 1980. So PETA was not yet around. Oh, that's shocking. I would have thought, especially with like the hippies and stuff like that, that they would have been like the founding fathers of like PETA. The more, Maybe they yeah. were. They were just like right out of the 70s, you know, once the drugs kind of wore off, they're like, let's find PETA. PETA. Um, so anyways, yeah. So $14,000 rewards. That's a big amount of money back then. It's, it's still a big amount of money now. Um, They even like, it's crazy. Like it got so extreme that in the 70s, this was not a common occurrence, but they had the newest state-of-the-art, like, heat-seeking equipment. They were, like, scouring the woods and stuff like that, trying to find, like, signatures, heat signatures of Gene, and he was just, like, a ghost. Like I said, it was absolutely just disappeared. Now, granted, like, the first time, like, he had escaped from prison, like, he was able to be caught in, like, a week. So they're just like, what the hell? Like, where is he? So in total... I found out that it appears they had spent at the time over $138,000 trying to find Gene. One man. Um, And it wasn't until April 6th on 1978. So, you guys, April 6th, 1978. This happened in June of 77. He almost made it a full year on the run that they finally finally found G. So, according to a tip that they had received, an anonymous tip, um, somebody said that Gene was often seen visiting a medicine man in the area. They find out because they had said, oh, it's the medicine man that recently had a brother who died. So they were able to kind of like narrow it down of like the known people that they have in the area that it was this one guy. And let me see if I have his knee. Oh, yeah. Sam Pigeon is his name. So he was a Sam Pigeon. He was a known medicine man. And basically, he was living about 45 miles from Camp Scott on this property that was owned by Sam Pigeon. Um, they said that he was in almost kind of like a small cabin home type thing. And they basically went in almost like basically like a SWAT team. So once they figured out that he was there, um, a, like a group of men law enforcement men showed up there they thoroughly had the whole cabin surrounded like multiple people like in the woods in the trees like so much surveillance because they were just so paranoid that he was just going to disappear again 
Um, I guess once they made it known that they were there, uh, one report would report says that he had tried to like run out the back door, but obviously there was somebody there as well. And they basically stopped him and he went peacefully. He didn't try to fight. Obviously he did try to flee, you know, to some extent, but didn't get very far. Um, didn't turn into a bird. Womp womp, you know. And he was to me, because if he turns into a bird, he just is allowing them to catch him. <laughs> yeah. So Definitely, I don't think he's a shapeshifter. But anyways, let me see where I'm at now. So fast forward to another year. So this is now March 19th, 1979. The trial of the state of Oklahoma versus Gene Leroy Hart begins. And it lasts all the way up until May 30th of 1979. So it was a three-month long trial. Oh, wow. Basically, um, going, I'm going to try to do this off the top of my head, you guys, because I didn't get a chance to actually jot it down in my notes of actually watching the docuseries. The docuseries did a really good job about going through the trial itself. Um, and a big thing that they had said, too, that unfortunately, they were trying to make it as unbiased as possible. So when you're talking about like the jury and stuff like that, unfortunately, because of the media, it was almost going to be impossible for them to find people that weren't going to be biased. You know, these are people that have to be local to the area. Obviously, they've heard all the stories. They've heard all the news articles and stuff like that. You know, maybe they knew somebody who knew Gene, you know, and it's like it didn't look too well for the actual like prosecutors, you know, trying to to really get Gene to be responsible for this. Um, I thought it was really crazy, too, how the media decided it would be a good idea Prior to the trial occurring or during the trial, I can't remember if it was either or, the media actually let him have a like spotlight almost. So they had like, I forget what they, the term that they used for it. Oh, like a press conference kind of where they literally almost made it like yeah. a kind of like a, an episode on like a like a docu, like a documentary where they're like interviewing G. And it's just weird. Like, so obviously it's very scripted and, you know, it was you know, his defense was able to choose the questions that were being asked. And obviously they couldn't ask anything really related to the case because it was still in trial and stuff like that. But I don't think that it was necessarily the right thing to do. I mean, it played to the benefit of Gene, but it's like they were asking him questions like, how's the prison treating you? Like, right. like that. Almost kind of like painting him like he's the guy's next, he's the guy next door. And I'm like, I think people vastly forgot the fact that he was already convicted of like his heinous crimes that he did prior. Like he may seem on the outside to be a normal dude, but he raped two women, was a burglar for a while when people were in their houses with stealing things. So that's just, I mean, like, I think people completely forgot about that fact. Like he was already supposed to be oh, serving yeah. over 300 years in prison. But, you know, he looked like the guy next door because... I just thought it was funny because, like, one of the little clips that they showed, like, they like when I said, like, they had asked him, like, how he's being treated in prison and stuff like that. He said something along the lines of, like, well, my mom always told me not to to speak badly of, about your host. And I was like, oh, okay. come on. I roll. You're in prison, dude. Yeah. But he's, like, painting himself to be, like, this really good dude, which, I mean, mm-hmm. he was smart for doing that, but... Like I said, I think the media really kind of jacked a lot of things up. So 
What do you think, Darcy? Do you think he gets convicted of the murders? No, I I think he gets off. Yeah, so unfortunately, he was found not guilty on all three counts. So the biggest thing being that it's really sad because it talks about like the families and all that they were going through during the trials. Everybody was really waiting for that one piece of evidence that was 100% like concrete. And unfortunately, after three months of trial, they didn't have it. You know, they had all these like circumstantial pieces and stuff like that. But, you know, like I said, the fingerprint was smudged. You know, there was like, sure, those pictures were in the cave. But how can you really truly say that just because those pictures were in a cave that Gene did it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, nobody could truly place him at that time in Camp Scott. So, you know, they just they said it wasn't enough. So it wasn't necessarily that the jury didn't think that he did it, but they said that they couldn't have said that he did it without a reasonable doubt. So it was just that key exactly. reasonable doubt that really just broke the whole case. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, on March 19th was when the actual case ended, or the trial ended, and maybe this is a bit of divine justice. I don't know. But on June 4th, so what, April and March, like, what, three months later? Um, so June 4th, 1979, um, Gene Leroy Hart dies at the age of 35 of a massive heart attack while working, out, yeah, while working out in the prison yard. Wow. Less than three months after the trial ended. And 35 is young, Says, you guys. They're really young. He must have had a really high cholesterol. So, funny that you bring that up. Of course, you know, everybody being so concerned about, you know, otherworldly influences and stuff like that, they had speculated that, you know, he was poisoned or there was a hit on Gene in prison and that one other inmate had done it, you know. So, of course, of course, they have to go and they actually autopsy his body and stuff like that. Come to find out, speaking to Gene's mother, his closest relative being his brother, too, was like his older brother had literally died, I think, at the age of like 36 or 37 from a massive heart attack as well. So clearly it was like a familial thing. Like he probably had a long history of having high cholesterol levels and stuff like that. Maybe he did some drugs along the way or was just like a heavy drinker, especially when he was out doing all of his nefarious different things that he did. Uh, definitely sped up the process of probably having that heart attack. So that being said, really, this the story isn't over yet. Sure, Gene's dead, you know, but we really don't have that concrete. We know who did it. It's solved kind of thing. So in the docuseries as well, it really kind of explains, you know, going forward, what ends up happening. Um, so years pass and stuff like that, you know, new sheriffs come and go. Um, it interviews the, the most current sheriff of that county. And it's really kind of sad. He said, like, the, one of the first few days that he was in the office as a new sheriff, one of the family members actually came into his office, sat down, and was still crying to that day. So this is years and years and years and years and years later. Came crying, saying that, please, please, I know that there was the, the trial and it didn't, you know, he was never convicted, but please just try to tell me who murdered my daughter. So he kind of went on this, yeah. like, whole whole thing about how like that was his number one goal as the new sheriff is that he wanted to see that this case had ended and closed 
Um, so back then they didn't have our lovely friend DNA. So now that we have all the capabilities of running DNA and stuff like that and having all that new technology, the sheriff was like, let's see if we can raise funds to, because all this is going to cost money because it's, it's a cold case, you know, and that what people don't understand is that, you know, there's not just an unlimited amount of money that we can just do all these testings on on all these cold cases. So they were able to raise money, um, enough money to do some DNA testing that was really specialized. So some of the things that they had found um, evidence-wise that they had kept over the years, um, one of them being, like a biggest one being like on that floorboard that they had, you know, airlifted out. There was mm-hmm. um, hairs. So if there was any kind of like altercation with the child and gene, um, they were able to lift a hair. So they said the thing about DNA and hair evidence is that it has to be really specific. So when you have a piece of hair, it has to contain like the end follicle itself too, because that's where the DNA is. Yeah, so luckily, the yeah, the root. Um, luckily, they were able to have at least one hair. It was one single piece of hair that they had all it takes just one time just one little single piece of hair and they were able to run it through some dna testing so what they did was any known suspect that they had for the case um they were able to basically compare it to the hair so even that guy that they found in the car the neighbors everybody anybody and everybody they were able to compare the dna to so out of all the suspects all of them, there was only one person they could not eliminate with the DNA testing. You want to take a guess who it is? I know it's wrong, but just for sheer effect, I'm going to say the counselor, the camp counselor. The, the no. chick, the, you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Who? The lunch guy? Gene Leroy Hart. Son of a bitch. He's the only person they could not eliminate that hair. So they said that it's still like, because I don't know if it's because of the hair, the hair root itself or what, or just the way hair DNA testing is or what. They couldn't definitively still say that it was him, but he was the only one that they could not eliminate. Wow. So that's kind of like bittersweet too, because, you know, the families didn't have to face the fact that, so maybe they did have the right man on trial and he somehow got away with it, you know, in theory, but also they to find that out, you know, also keep in mind though, that either way, like I said, he had his divine justice. If that's the case, he was also still going to serve 300 years in prison, you know, but it's still bittersweet. It's not the ending that everybody wants, you know, especially in a case horrific like this. But knowing that they may have likely had the right man anyways mm-hmm. kind of feels okay, even though he was found not guilty. He was far from a perfect man. You know, he wasn't the guy next door or the man next door. You know, he had done crazy things to begin with. So neither way, he got his justice in the end. Um, but some theories that, like, I want to kind of swing by you, Darcy, is, is theories that I feel like, if it was she or if it was somebody else, I don't feel like they were alone still. I don't think it was a solo job. I really don't think it was a solo job. I don't know. So the new sheriff, he did really good. Like he actually in the docuseries also kind of um, 
he actually laid out what the, the crime scene looked like. And in his theory, he thinks that it was just a one person thing. But I'm still just like, I don't think I slept that hard as a kid personally. But he thinks because the way like the cots were set up, like the little beds, because uh-huh. killed first, who was killed second, they were able to figure out. And who was obviously left alive. Um, he said basically what they did was they entered in the tent, found the first girl. Bear with you guys. I know this is pretty explicit and really rough to hear. Whacked her over the head, killed her instantly. Turned around, basically, in one step, was able to turn around to the other girl, like, on the other side. Whacked her twice. And then had just one girl left. So, And that's the one that was raped. Yeah. I don't know. Like, that sounds really methodical, you know? And it's like... I understand people like to, like, just as people, we like to assume that criminals and people are just really stupid and they make mistakes and they don't think that far ahead. It just sounds really methodical. And it's almost like you have to know where they're sleeping. Like, to walk in with a flashlight, I mean, I guess, like, you could, I mean, listen, Ted Bundy did it inside of a fucking sorority house. Like, if he could do that in the sorority house with grown-ass women, who's to stop some man from doing it with 10-year-old girls? Like, I guess. I, I don't know. I just... Maybe. I mean, maybe. It just sounds really outside of his M.O. from his press crimes. I mean, like... It's just weird. Like, there's never been a history of pedophilia or anything like that. And it's like... Maybe he just wanted to, like, murder someone, but in that instance, he's also like, oh, well, might as well just have sex with her while I'm here. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So he might have been involved, but I don't think he was the only one involved. Yeah. Yeah. And the only, one of the reasons, too, like, I don't think anybody, if you guys caught on to this, because I kind of hinted at it in the first um, part of this, is that the only thing that kind of made me think of Gene being the primary suspect, too, was um, I don't know if you like you said you remembered, but one of the things that they found in the cave were a pair of women's eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. Now, try to remember back to when I was talking about Gene and his pre- like prior crimes. Mm-hmm. The two women that he had raped and taken, you know, in his car, both wore eyeglasses, right? Right. So to kind of find like eyeglasses too that had been stolen made me think I was like, huh. That awfully sounds like something like Gene would do because obviously that may have been like one of his fascinations and stuff like that was women's eyeglasses or eyeglasses in general. I don't know. People are weird. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe it's a good thing to wear contacts nowadays. So <laughs> sure, but then it's also like explain the note. Like we're here to kill three girls and whatever was it? It's one ten or three ten. Exactly. I mean, unless he has a bunch of personalities in his head, unless that's the we, like, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't add up to me. I feel like there's a missing element here. Um, Who knows? I mean, honestly, like, who the fuck knows? But I don't, I don't think he was solo. I think he was involved. I just don't think he was solo. Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody, one of the sources that I have, had mentioned that I think they found, like, DNA from a woman even at the crime scene. So that's kind of odd to me. But at the same time, like, how do they know? And it wasn't really said about in the docuseries. I don't know, like I said, how accurate that truly was. 
But also to me, it's like looking at from an outside perspective, like this is a camp for Girl Scouts. Like how do they know that that woman's DNA was from the actual crime itself versus it just being there, you know? I don't know how all the DNA stuff really she's worked with the friend. someone who works there, you know. And she was cleaning it up and she lost a hair while she was cleaning the place. Sure. Right. You know, so I, I don't know in regards to forensics and stuff like that, but I mean, that would just be a, a horrific thought too if like a woman was also involved in doing this. So I don't know. I don't want to truly think about that part too much. Um, but yeah, so like I said, these three, these three girls, like they, they met an end that was far too short than it should have been. And I feel very, very, very bad for the families. Um, but for the most part, from what I've heard, they've actually really taken it as, as best as they can. A lot of them are involved in different groups now that help support mm-hmm. other families that have lost children at a young age. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that um, uh, the camp counselor, I believe she also went into the whole law enforcement because of this too. She wanted to help the community. I know she dealt with a lot of guilt regarding it, which I can't imagine. You know, she found, she was the one that found these girls. She knew these girls too. She interacted with them for at least the first day that they were there. It's, it's so sad, but you know, I'm going to try to hope and believe that, that not, not in the negative sense, you know, just pitting on Gene, but know that maybe, I guess that he did get his divine justice, justice in the end, if it really was him. So, but yeah, that's my story, you guys. I don't know if this is how long this episode was or is going to be, but I just wanted to kind of wrap it up. It was going to be pretty long if I tried to really squish it all into the one episode. So I decided to just go ahead and break it up. Um, but to go over again, I just before I'm done here, I just want to go over the the um, sources that I had used, which, of course, was CrimeMuseum.com, TheLineup.com, um, that wonderful website that really goes through each individual person that was involved in this, too, um, at BlitterCalledGirlsMurders.com, and the Hulu docuseries that it continues to talk about is called Keeper of the Ashes, um, the Oklahoma Girl Scout Murders. With Kristen Chenoweth, who I had mentioned before, grew up in the area. It was actually the same age at the time was supposed to be on this trip to, I guess, that had haunted her for a very long time. And with her popularity, she's an actress. I believe she does a lot of Broadway stuff. She was able to do this docuseries for Hulu and kind of really bring it to light again for people to remember. She's like, I just want everybody to remember the story and remember to wanted them to remember what happened to the girls. And it may be a little bittersweet, but when they visited the actual crime scene site, um, Doris, who was the little girl that was raped, she was found to be taped to the like a tree, basically, too, in this pathway. Um, they kind of actually go to the very site, the very tree. And Kristen Chenoweth had stood there and she's like, it's kind of crazy to look at this tree right now because there's a huge mark on it. Like it literally had died on the inside. So it's like almost like that, you know, nature goes on, but obviously you can see something had horrific had happened here. And almost like it just, it ate away at the tree, which is bizarre. And I always find that there's symbolism in things. And, you know, the whole area was, you know, it's, it's grown, it's overgrown now. It's not used anymore as a camp. It's literally just like abandoned. And 
she's like, you did be walking through the woods and instantly know that this is where it happened. So, but yeah, that's my story, you guys. I know it was super, super, super sad kind of and depressing, but I found it fascinating. And, you know, I know I don't do the actual whole murder thing, like a true murder like this very often, but I like bringing to light some of the unsolved ones too. Like I said, this one may have been solved and we don't know it. You know, like I said, we can't completely eliminate Gene in your heart. So maybe he really did do it. Yep. Well, thank you for making us all sad. Yeah. But also to you guys, if you have your own opinions, please reach out and, to, and talk to us. See what you think. You know, if you've heard anything else, maybe if you did additional research after walking, watching either us or the docuseries, please let us know because I'm curious to see what other opinions are. What are your theories? Yeah. All righty. Also, if you were a Girl Scout and you had a weird story, we would oh, love yes. to know your weird Girl Scout stories. Also, if you were on the same camping trip as me where I got to learn how to surf, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let her know. Awesome. Knows, well, thank maybe you so much, Shannon. Too. <laughs> oh, All righty. Yeah. Well, I guess we're really bad at this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, listen, I think we're really good at this, but we'll just let the internet do its thing. Uh, You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the TAKTV podcast. You can email us at TAKTV podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Take a Killer to Brunch or go over to our website at www.takeakillertobrunch.com. And you can also find us Patreon and Patron, which is part of Podbean. Healer to brunch. It's all it's all there. TAKTV, it's all there. And everything's in the description below if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening, it's all in the description below as well. Uh so thank you guys so much for being here and we will see you on the next one. Bye. Cheers. Oh my god. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we both did the tape. <laughs>